Hello, good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well. Uh, thank you for joining us online. We're so excited you're here. Let's jump into the message, okay? So we are talking about um, Psalm 22 today. It's an amazing psalm, so open up your Bibles to that psalm and let's get to it. So it's a really cool psalm. It's written by David about a thousand years before um, Jesus ever lived, but it's not about David's life. It's about Jesus's, okay? So verse one, we won't be uh, talking about every verse. I'll sort of be jumping around a bit, um, but we're going to be mainly talking about this verse, verse one. Talk about it quite a bit. So Psalm 22, verse one says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? So my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of you might uh, recognize these words. You know, these are the words of Jesus um, when he was on the cross. This was the verse that he quoted, one of the last things he said and the last like, uh, quote or reference he made to the Old Testament or what was just the scripture, the Bible at that time. Um, this was the very last thing he points, very last thing in the Bible he points us to, right? So we should be holding on to these, um, these words very tightly. Like these are almost as, almost as dying breath as he's showing us this psalm. So we should be really taking in consideration. We should be taking into consideration what he is saying, what Jesus is trying to tell us today. Okay, so um, Charles Spurgeon, who is one of the biggest preachers and most well, like one of the well-known Christians of the 1800s, he said this um, about Psalm 22. We should read reverently, putting off our shoes from our feet as Moses did at the burning bush. For if there be holy ground anywhere in the scripture, it is in this Psalm. Okay, it's a big deal. Holy ground right here in this Psalm. So let's approach this with reverence. And as we do that, let's just, let's open up in prayer. Open up our hearts here. God, we just come to you with humbled hearts, wanting to learn from you, wanting to draw closer to you, wanting to know more about you. God, we just come completely humbled and in awe of who you are. And we just ask that you draw us closer to you that you teach us something today through your word, that you reveal in our hearts what your Holy Spirit wants to say to us today. And as we reflect on this psalm and the life of Jesus, Lord, we just thank you for how amazing that gift was. We thank you for what you have done for us through Jesus. Amen. Okay, so we're going to be focusing on verse 1, like I said. Um, but let me give you sort of an overview of what else is in this psalm. You know, what else is happening. So um, as you read this psalm, it, you're actually reading like a description of a crucifixion, which a crucifixion is a death on a cross, right? So um, this psalm actually was written 600 years before that was invented, before people dying on crosses was a thing. So we know that this it definitely isn't an account of, of David himself, and it couldn't be an account of someone else in his life. Uh, he didn't go through this type of torture, and like I said, crosses weren't invented at this time. So we know that it's a prophetic picture for Jesus, for the suffering that Jesus would endure for us, for what he went through to pay the penalty for our sins. Um, so as we read this psalm, we know it's prophesying about Jesus. And in case you aren't convinced just from that first line, here are the other parallels in the psalm and of the story of Jesus' death. 
So you have, of course, like I said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus' words calling our attention to this psalm. You have uh, verse 7, which says, um, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. So Jesus was mocked and insulted when he was on the cross. Um, so this is in Matthew now, 27, 39 to 40. It says, Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, You are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself. And then verse 43 they also said, he trusts in God. Let God rescue him. Now, if it, let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. So, you know, that's some of the same wording in both the Psalm and Matthew. Verse 14 says, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. So um, what actually happens during a crucifixion, which I've heard before, and then I found out a little bit more detail as I was researching this, is... You know, as you are pinned to the cross with nails going through your wrists and then both your feet, uh, and then your legs are at a 45 degree angle. So because of how your body is stretched out and then like compressed at the bottom, for some reason, I don't really know biology very well, but people actually, the way people die on a cross is from suffocating. There is enough room for the lungs unless you push up with your legs and pull up with your arms just to get enough room for your body to breathe. Right, so um, people then have to put all this extra pressure on the nail wounds just to, just to take a breath or else they'll suffocate to death. And eventually um, people will lose the strength of their legs, right? The legs will just give out eventually. So then the, the body weight actually will pull the arms out of joint, out of socket, like verse 14 is saying, my bones are out of socket, or my bones are out of joint. And uh, this is why the Roman soldiers would actually eventually just break people's legs so that they couldn't pull themselves up to take another breath anymore. And then, then they would die for sure. And in the Bible, it says the Romans went to go break Jesus' legs, but he was already dead, so they didn't do that. So the connection here with verse 14, the bones being out of joint, it's part of a crucifixion. Uh, my mouth is dried up like potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. And sorry, I'm feeling a little bit of that right now. Um, potsherd is a broken piece of ceramic, specifically kind of referring to like archaeological finds. So it's just an old broken piece of ceramic that sits out in the sun and is very dry. And one of Jesus's last words was, I am thirsty. So here again, he's, he could be kind of ref referring to this and, and fulfilling this verse. Uh, verse 16 of Psalm 22, dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircle me, they pierce my hands and my feet. That is the most obvious reference to a cross. You know, this was written, again, 600 years before that was invented. Verse 17, all my bones are on display, people stare and gloat over me. Jesus was stripped naked and stretched out on the cross for everyone to see. So that's what that can mean there. Um, verse 18, they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. That's exactly what happened with Jesus. Matthew 27, 35 says, When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots, which casting lots is just deciding something by chance, a dice or shortest straw or whatever, whatever it happens to be, just something by chance. Um, so that was prophesying what would happen with Jesus. So it's almost like beat by beat, this psalm for the, the death of Jesus. Uh, and then in Psalm 22, after this like 
just heart-wrenching and uh, verses of pain and despair. It, it ends with these 10 triumphant verses you know, about how amazing God is and how victorious he is over everything, ending with the words, he has done it. And I read some people that uh, say in the original language, this actually can be or, or maybe should be translated to, um, it is finished, which echo, like, um, which in John's gospel were Jesus' final words. So even, you know, not too long before, Jesus was saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then he is ending it with saying, it is finished. You know, echoing these triumphant verses in the minds of the people that knew the scriptures. It's almost like he is, he is taking the first and last verse of Psalm and, and sort of bookending it for us and saying like, this whole Psalm is my life. This whole Psalm is important and fulfilled through my death. That's, it's kind of what I feel like he's pointing us towards. And, um, you know, even though he suffered greatly at the moment, Jesus knew that he'd be resurrected. He knew what his death meant and how important it was. He knew it meant victory over sin and death and, uh, and life for God's people for eternity. So he, he ends with saying, it is finished. You know, God has done it. Okay, so quite a, quite a few references, right? Like if, if you believe the Bible, then this was definitely prophesying Jesus's death on the cross. And maybe you're watching today and you don't believe the Bible, you're not really sure, awesome. Like, we're so happy that you are with us, that you're exploring. That's why we do this. Um, if you wanted to check out uh, a few months ago, we did a Problem of God series where we explored, like, the biggest questions that skeptics have about God and, and the problems people have with Christianity. And uh, the one about the problem of the Bible, we'll, we'll work through that, that question, you know, can I trust the Bible? So, if you want to check that out, that'd be awesome. Or you could read the Problem of God book for yourself. It's an amazing book. Um, so I encourage you to do that. But here, of course, <laughs> I'm a pastor. Uh, we're a church. We believe that God's word is completely true, that it's, you know, God's actual word. So um, in the Old Testament, we believe that it's prophesying and talking about Jesus. And even though the people writing it, maybe uh, they didn't know the future, but, but God did. So there's a lot of references about Jesus' life way before Jesus was born, and uh, Psalm 22 is one of those. So, um, let me just read Matthew 27, 45 to 50, as we continue to look at Psalm 22, just so we have this, this image in our minds, uh, just so we have this sort of, this picture for us. So, it says, From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar and put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Okay, again, focusing on Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did, why did Jesus say this? Why did, why did Jesus say he was forsaken? Like, it says he cried out those words. Jesus, like one, the one out of three, you know, 
persons of the perfect holy trinity? Why did he cry out to God saying, why have you forsaken me? And the answer is just because he was forsaken. Because he was truly forsaken. Forsaken? Like really, really abandoned? How does that, how does that make any sense? Some Christians really don't like this. They, they don't like this idea uh, that Jesus was actually forsaken by God. They think it makes God look cruel or they think it maybe, you know, doesn't make sense because God and Jesus are one. But um, just because we maybe don't like something about the Bible doesn't mean it's wrong. I think the idea, the theology that Jesus was forsaken is, is backed up by the Bible. Uh, one commenter wrote, Jesus was indeed forsaken by God while he bore the sin of his people on the cross. This is the very essence of atonement, Jesus bearing our hell in order that we might share in heaven. Jesus was forsaken by God. And uh, some people think that, again, like that makes God look mean, but actually, um, I'll talk about it later a little bit, but this is the greatest act of God's love, this moment exactly. So, because here's what's happening for us, okay? Uh, in Jesus' final moments, he was actually taking on the sin of the world. Everything, past, present, future, all the sin was being placed on Jesus at that time. Uh, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.21, uh, he tells us Jesus became sin. So it says, God made, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that, we, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, so a few, a few other things are happening at this moment. You know, while Jesus is taking on our sin and becoming sin, God the Father had to remove his presence from Jesus, okay? Because God is so perfect, so holy, so untouchable by sin, it's actually in, impossible for God to be in the midst of sin, to be tied with sin. In, in the Old Testament, we see sometimes God, you know, removing his presence from his chosen people uh, because they were just, they were too sinful, and that's why animal sacrifice started, you know, to put the sin of the people on, on something else so that the relationship between God and people could continue. Okay, then there's really no scientific explanation of how and why that works exactly, but that's how God made it. And that's why Jesus was the final and perfect sacrifice. Animal sacrifice only, only covered sin. It never fixed the issue. So Jesus needed to live a perfect life and then die in our place so that we didn't have to. And the, the beauty thing is that that perfect life that Jesus lived gets applied to you, gets like stuck onto your life if you accept it. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to live a perfect life because Jesus did. So as Jesus became sin, God had to remove his presence from Jesus because they just couldn't exist together. And God also had to deal with sin, right? There was this God's righteous, perfect kind of anger and, and wrath that had to be, that had to go on sin, against sin. Um, there needed to be something to take God's judgment. John Piper uh, says, the judgment was to have God the Father pour out his wrath. And instead of pouring it out on us, he pours it out on him. Jesus took our judgment. For God's judgment to fall on, on, on Jesus, God's presence 
had to abandon him. Like truly abandon him. And from Jesus crying out, like we know that this was incredibly emotionally painful for Jesus. He was forsaken by his father. He was left alone to die. This incredibly loving and perfect relationship that had always existed uh, with God the Father was now severed and it was broken as he took our sin and took God's wrath for us. Um, the Bible tells us that uh, the day before Jesus died, like right before he was captured to be, to be crucified, he was praying in, in this garden and just asking and begging God if there was any other way to do this. He knew, he knew what was coming. And he was just asking if there was any other way. And it says his sweat was like drops of blood um, because he was just in so much anguish and like knowing what would happen. And okay, I don't know about you, but um, I always assumed, just automatically assumed, didn't even question it, that his anguish um, would have been over the physical pain he was gonna go through. Like he actually faced one of the worst deaths in history. To this day, the cross is one of the most brutal deaths that someone can endure. Um, and I, I always just assumed that if someone knew that that would happen, um, they'd be in severe anguish and have like next level anxiety. But then I was thinking about this and while you know doing research and reading through the gospel accounts of Jesus' death and, and thinking about Psalm 22, I, I realized, I was like, oh, Jesus' cry of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, was in his final moments of life. His, his, some of his last words, his final moments. Not, not any other time. You know, not when he was being, like, tortured. Not when he was being beaten and whipped with pieces of metal and bone that cut open the skin. Not when a crown of thorns was forced on his head. Not when he was being you know, spit on and mocked and, and stripped naked and, and forced to carry his cross until all his strength gave out. Not when he, the, the nails went through his wrists and his feet and not when he was hung there um, while pulling himself up for every breath. He, he cried out when for the first time the Son of God was separated from God. Then he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's this amazingly intimate but heartbreaking cry of Jesus' loneliness and abandonment. And that, that didn't happen because of his physical pain. It happened because there's something so much greater than that pain that was happening. God separating himself. And also, before that cry... Everything else Jesus said, um, like leading up to the cross, was actually directed to or about others. Um, like when Jesus saw women weeping for him, he said, like, don't weep for me because like weep for your own troubles that you'll face. Um, this, to the soldiers or about the soldiers, he said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Uh, to the thief that was crucified next to him, he said, um, today you will be with me in paradise to his mother and uh, who was his uh, disciple that was his, his best friend, he said, like, um, dear woman, here's your son. And to John, here is your mother. Like, take care of each other. Uh, he said that while he was on the cross. And in none of these sentences did Jesus even seem to be thinking of himself at all. He was still thinking entirely of others, caring for others, loving people, even through all this physical pain that he was enduring. But 
when Jesus took on the sin of the world and God's presence left him at that moment, he felt more pain than the greatest physical pain anyone can experience. Okay, so think about this. Um, it, it is thought that, you know, it's hard to quantify for sure, but it's thought that probably the deepest pain that someone can go through um, is losing a loved one, losing someone you love, right? So think of that pain if you've gone through that, a, a child, a parent, um, a spouse, a friend, grandparents, whoever, having someone there one day and the next day gone is maybe the greatest pain that humans can experience. And the closer the relationship, the more love there is, the greater the pain, the greater the loss. Now, think about that, the pain you have experienced in that way, um, and think about that just infinitely greater. Not to, not to belittle your pain, our pain is, is real and God cares about that too. But think about the Father and the Son who for, and the Holy Spirit who, for, who since like eternity past, forever, have been in perfect love with each other. You know, God is love, the Bible tells us. We like can love and experience love, but God is love. So think about that relationship being suddenly torn apart and the pain that Jesus must have felt. You know, in this moment of that relationship being ripped away, Jesus cries out in agony because he lost his father. And for the first time, he's truly alone. We've, we've probably felt far from God before, but Jesus was far from God. He was actually separated from God, separated from love itself, from goodness, from light. And as Jesus became sin for us, in, in, in some way that we can't really understand, um, God put all the world's sin and evil on Jesus and then destroyed it. it uh, Isaiah prophesies, um, it's an Old Testament book, and it says it was God's will to destroy him. Not for any bad reasons, but out of love. Because, you know, um, it was just out of this immense love that God had for us. Not just God the Father. Jesus, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit had this love, and it was the only way to redeem his people. Um, as Jesus was separated from God, as he was left alone to take on our sin, to be, to be separated from God, Jesus literally, in every sense of the word, went through and experienced hell on the cross. And hell is, hell is just being completely cut off from God. And Jesus went through that for us, so we don't have to. This is why we can have hope for heaven. This is why we don't have to fear death or hell, because Jesus went through it all for us. The wrath of God for sin is falling on the one that God loved the most. And again, some people think that's cruel. You know, it's like, oh, Jesus is great, but I don't know, God's kind of mean. What is this? But this is the greatest act of love that has ever been done, and it had to be done. You know, it's, it, it was the only way for us to have a relationship with God. It was the only way for us to know him deeply, to live forever with him. And it's not this weird, you know, God, God the Father and Jesus child abuse. They're one. Jesus knew what had to be done. He, he knew what had to happen, what it would accomplish, 
And, you know, we might think this seems cruel because, you know, we see Jesus' pain here. But we see Jesus' pain. But God the Father would be equally, equally hurt and heartbroken over Jesus' pain, over being separated from his son. He's a loving father. Of course, he would just be absolutely torn apart to see this happen, but knowing that it's for the best. We just don't see that. We're told of what we see here on earth. All this pain that Jesus went through is for us. And of course, the story didn't end with Jesus' death. Uh, We know that just as important uh, is his resurrection to defeat sin and overcome death. But uh, there was so much going on, you know, in, in this moment that Jesus took on our sin onto the cross that I think it's okay to sometimes stop there and just ponder and let that soak in sometimes. So now what do we do with this? Right? I, I know that this sermon has been a lot of information, um, so I'm sorry about that. Thank you for, for sticking with me. But... You know, usually I like to bring more pieces of application as we go along or, or more stories, but this one was more just a deep dive into that verse and what was happening during that moment. And I think that's okay sometimes. But we still need to answer the question for ourselves, what do we do with this? You know, as we look at Psalm 22, specifically verse 1, uh, I think really we just need to let this sink in. I think... We should just be struck with how amazing Jesus is. We should be blown away with what God went through um, to save us. You know, you're a mess. I'm a mess. We are undeserving of God's love. We're sinners. The Bible tells us, you know, while we were enemies of God, he died for us. So we should be grateful and humbled that Jesus would do that for us. And that's really what we need to take away. um, But we need to hold on to it. Right? That's the issue. We need to hold on to this thought, that idea that in, you know, in our day and day life, that can change everything. It changes how we think and live. You know, if Jesus did this for me, then maybe I can do uh, this for this person, even if it costs me something, even if I, if I don't really like them. If Jesus can die for me while I'm in his enemy, I can do this for this person that I don't really like or that I think is my enemy. Um, you know, Jesus took my sin, my death, my hell, my judgment, then I should be, I should be joyful. This life, is a, this life is a blessing, right? And I should appreciate every moment, and that doesn't mean you have to be happy uh, absolutely all the time, but it puts things into perspective, right? If Jesus went through all this for me, then you know, I can make it through these hardships and, and sufferings on earth because it's just temporary and because Jesus took away the ultimate suffering for me. And I can realize that uh, sometimes the greatest things come through the hardest times and the worst suffering, just like the cross. You know, or if, if Jesus died for me, then maybe I can sacrifice for um, other people or sacrifice for spreading the gospel or whatever. Like materialism goes down, pride goes down, greed goes down. When you think of the gospel, stress goes down because you don't have to prove anything. Jesus did it all. Like, that changes everything. Right? It is finished. It is finished. You don't have to do anything to earn. You don't have to do anything to earn your salvation, to be, a, you know, a perfect person. That's not what this is about. This is about a relationship now, drawing closer to Jesus. And, uh, 
you know, this is kind of why I felt like it was okay to just, to just drill down on what Jesus went through to hopefully give us a better understanding of who he is and what he did for us. But here's the thing. Um, you can't just hear this sermon um, and then walk away and forget everything. And that's the same for any sermon, anytime you read the Bible. If you just walk away and forget it, that's useless, right? That's dumb. What do you, why are you doing it then? It isn't going to change your life. It isn't going to make you more like Christ. We need to be daily thinking about these things. Not even daily, all the time. Hourly, every minute, whatever. Um, we should be daily taking in the things that Jesus has done for us. Not just on Sundays, all the time. So maybe in your life you need to slow down. Right? You need time to think. The Bible says to meditate on God's word. Actually, actually meditate on it. Let it soak in. Let, let, you know, think of the concept of Jesus dying on the cross. Picture it in your mind and think of what he went through. Let that soak into your mind and your heart. Um, give time for the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to change who you are. You know, this, this takes time. It's not a quick fix. Nothing good is a quick fix or nothing, nothing truly good is easy. When is the last time that you just sat to be with God, just to listen, just to be with him? When was the last time you memorized scripture or part of the Bible, you know? Um, not just, okay, I need to read my Bible to follow the schedule. Okay, check, I did that, good. Uh, God, please do this, 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 this. Okay, good, on to the next thing. Turn on my TV, go back on my phone. I did that, now we're good. You know, this is about having a relationship with Jesus. Do you think that, you know, you could have a relationship with someone who is just, every time you hung out, every time you were with them, they were just trying to get in and out as fast as possible, right? Just putting enough effort so that they felt like they had a good relationship with you, so that they felt good enough. No, that, that would be terrible. Obviously, that person wouldn't really care about you and is just, for some reason, doing that out of obligation. We can't rush God. We need to walk with him not sprint through life and just hope he catches up. You know, and you aren't expected to suddenly be praying for an hour each day or be this amazing Christian um, all of a sudden, but start growing. I encourage you, start growing. Take, take every day, every day you can, take more steps, draw closer to God. Um, you know, start keeping Jesus at the forefront of your mind. That might mean reading the Bible more. That might mean a little bit more of prayer. That might mean uh, carving out some time just to sit and think um, and let God speak to you and meditate on the Bible. And I know I need more of that. Maybe put up sticky notes or set goals to memorize scriptures or set reminders on your phone every day or a few times a day. Uh, like just to say like, I don't know, remember Jesus. Because honestly, do you feel like, like I feel this sometimes, we forget we go to church on Sunday, we read our Bible maybe in the morning or at night, and then we go through life just coasting, not even thinking about God, not even thinking about what Jesus has done and how that changes every minute of your life. There's so much more to life than just living it on a whim, however you feel. God wants to use you in such amazing ways if you let him and draw close to him. We need to have Jesus on the forefront of our mind. 
That's why, I, you know, just letting this, letting this idea of what Jesus did for us soak into our hearts and minds is so important. So whatever it looks like for you, uh, I hope that you will start something today to just draw closer to Jesus. Best thing you can do is start doing that and get people around you that you can be accountable with, that you can grow together, that you can read the Bible, um, like read the Bible, you and God, and then meet up and talk about it. Have a Bible study, join a small group, um, do this in community. That's what we're meant to do. That's part of why Jesus died is so that we can have this church, this community where Jesus is living in us and that brings us together as one. Um, you know, every day our calling in life is just, how do I love Jesus more? Let's remember everything that Jesus has done for us and everything he's went through just to have a relationship with you. And then ask yourself, how am I going to respond to that relationship? If you don't know Jesus, you can pray with me right now and accept him into your heart. And I encourage everyone else to just pray with me that, you know, God will just help us draw closer to him, be more like him. So just open up your hearts and really um, focus on God right now. Focus on Jesus right now. Pray with me. Dear God, I thank you, God. We thank you for what you've done. God, what you've done on the cross is amazing. What you've done for us is just beyond comprehension. It's incredible. It just, you know, it, it blows us away and it, it completely makes everything else in this world look small in comparison. So Jesus, we just focus on you and we ask that you help us to draw closer to you, that you help us to be more and more like you every day, God. Help us to live our lives completely and passionately for your kingdom, God, for your purpose. Let, us, let our lives not just be about us because that's empty, God. We just pray that our lives are, are about you and loving you and loving others. And God, um, for those people who haven't accepted Jesus. Jesus, I, I thank you that you have forgiven my sin. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and rose again so that I can have new life, so that I can be forgiven, so that I can spend eternity with you, so that I can be more and more like you. Jesus, we just accept your forgiveness. We thank you for your forgiveness and we ask Holy Spirit, that you move inside of us every day and, and make us more and more like you. Help us, God, to just be more of what the church should be every day. We just ask for your blessing. We just ask that you move with us wherever we are, spread out wherever, God. We just ask that you build your church. Amen.